but that's serving a large uh, uh, number of white clients, this kind of disruption may not be acceptable. Uh, more, uh, another reason is the unreliability of the software patches. Um, the software patches can become unreliable, and this is not because you know the patch testers are not doing their job. It's simply because it's really because that software patches have some uh, software patches are inherently difficult to test for, uh, simply because a large number of machine configuration settings, you know, newer versions of DLLs. So it's, uh, it's quite reasonable that for a particular machine configuration, uh, the, the, the patch has released a break their system. And when, the patches, uh, when that particular pa patch breaks a system, uh, it's also hard to reverse that patch. So that's the irreversibility problem with the software patch. Uh, the reason is that you, know, you have been applying changes to our system after applying that patch, and those changes may be dependent on the patch. So undoing this patch is a non-trivial task. Uh, lastly, because of you know, these top three reasons, technical issues uh, with software patches, it's not really possible to uh, enable complete automation of the patch installation. Uh, so the user is in the loop, and oftentimes the system administrators, they do, uh, they do a, a set of comprehensive testing of the patches they receive before they actually uh, encourage their uh, users to install the patches. So when the user is in the loop, uh, there is an awareness problem. The user may not be aware that you know, their systems are vulnerable and are in need uh, of patches. Um, so you may wonder whether um, the, the existing firewalls are effective for, uh, for the protections of these security network exploitable security holes. Uh, the answer is not really. The existing uh, traditional firewalls, they're typically very coarse grained. And for example, you block a certain port um, when there is an uh, incident of a large-scale worm attack. Uh, so this will incur very high false positive rate and cause a severe disruption in the services. And also, the traditional firewalls are typically placed <laughs> in the network. And uh, it's a basically one-size-fits-all solution. It's trying to protect all the computers in this network. Some of the computers do not really need the protection because they have already applied their patches. And, well, while the others do. And also there's this lack of uh, application awareness. Uh, furthermore, it misses end-to-end uh, encrypted traffic such as IPsec. <coughs> um, so recently there is an emergence of exploit-driven uh, attack, you know, uh, exploit-driven firewalls. Basically, these firewalls try to filter according to some attack pattern using a pattern matching or a regular expression. However, uh, this kind of uh, firewalls are uh, vulnerable to attack code obfuscation. For example, polymorphic uh, attacks uh, can evade such firewalls very easily. Furthermore, the worms can spread really fast, and we all know that Slammer overtook the internet in 10 minutes, and the research have, uh, researchers have developed uh, newer lower bound, uh, like in within seconds, the whole internet can be overtaken. So this poses a significant challenge Exploit-driven firewalls. This requires these firewalls to uh, to do real-time signature generation and uh, distribution. So our approach uh, is shield. Uh, basically, shields are unhost-based firewalls and using uh, vulnerability-driven filters. Our goal is to protect the time window between vulnerability disclosure and patch application. Um, our approach is to characterize the vulnerability. 
instead of the various uh, exploits. And we use the vulnerability signature for n-host-based firewalls. So shields combine the best words of uh, software patches and firewalls. Um, like patches, uh, shield is vulnerability specific and it's independent of the variations of the attacks or exploits. Uh, but unlike patches, um, patches are at the code level patching the executables, making deployment and testing uh, very uh, complicated. And shield uh, takes the advantage of the firewall being at the network level and uh, is data driven. <coughs> However, unlike the recent exploit driven firewalls, it's a vulnerability specific and it cannot exploit. So the advantage of Shield is really that Shield offers as good protection as software patches, uh, being resilient to attack variations <laughs> and at the same time it's easier as we deploy and more reliable than the software patches. So uh, this uh, slide shows an overview of the Shield usage. So basically we envision that Shield will be enabled on every single desktop machine in the future, uh, hopefully. And whenever a new vulnerability is um, discovered, a new shield policy encoding this vulnerability signature is distributed to every in-host. And at that time, the protection for that vulnerability is enacted. Um, so essentially, shield intercepts um, vulnerable application traffic above the transfer layer. This is actually a key advantage of shield because shield only needs to intercept the vulnerable application tra traffic. Uh, for the rest of traffic, it does not need to do anything. It does not need to do any uh, deep inspection. And the policy distribution is very much like the antivirus signature model. Uh, basically, uh, the virus signature, instead of a virus signature, uh, we distribute a vulnerability signature to every single end host, and uh, resulting in automatic, non-disruptive uh, addressing, basically addressing those deployment concerns in the software patching. Uh, so this kind of uh, distribution installation model is automatic, it's non-disruptive, and it's easily reversible. So we also um, conducted some study over um, the sum of the security, uh, security vulnerabilities in 2003 and to see whether there's a case for shield, what vulnerabilities can be shielded. Uh, basically there are 49 vulnerabilities from Microsoft Security Bulletin Board. And all of these 49 vulnerabilities, 12 of them are, um, are warm exploitable. Basically, they can be, it's like a network traffic exploiting, say, a, a buffer overrun in the backend server. Well, all these kind of vulnerabilities, uh, shield is, can be easily, uh, shield can, can provide easy protection. Uh, basically, shield is very good for network and is above the transfer layer, so we don't have to deal with IPsec encrypted traffic. Uh, you may wonder, okay, how about SSL? In that case, we would advocate building shield on top of SSL. Um, nevertheless, application-specific encryption will be difficult because we don't have the access to the payload, encrypted payload. So I have just given you a nutshell on what shield is, and next I'm going to delve into the next level of detail. Uh, in the shield design, and I've, I'll give you analysis uh, on our, our design, and I'll tell you more about our uh, uh, actual implementation prototype, uh, some initial evaluations, 
I'll talk about related work and conclude at the end. So at the heart of shielding is really how we can, uh, how we can model the vulnerability. So basically, the intu intuition behind shielding is really that uh, the worms, like in the network traffic, there's some malicious network traffic uh, using, speaking some application level protocol, exploiting some uh, service running on your uh, system. So all application level protocols in practice can be modeled by a finite state machine, like this one. At a particular state, you receive a message, you do something, you advance to the next state. Okay, because we're here addressing known vulnerabilities, we know exactly which state the exploit events can happen. Um, so now I'd like to circle this part of the state machine. This really represents the vulnerability state machine. So this really represents all the possible network, all the possible sequences of the network messages that can lead to the exploitation. Just to make the picture complete, within each protocol state, uh, there's fine-grained uh, application implementation state machine, encoding some application logic, like file being opened and stuff like that. But we're not really so concerned about that part of the logic. Uh, we're, we're in the network, we're observing the traffic passing by, and we want to understand the precise protocol context. So we're mostly concerned about uh, the vulnerability state machine. So what constitutes the vulnerability signature or shield policy is really uh, the specification of this uh, vulnerability state machine as well as how to recognize and react uh, to the exploits at this uh, vulnerable state, V4. So uh, next I'm going to talk about uh, the shield architecture design. So there are three essential goals uh, to, design shield, to, to design the shield system. First, we need to allow enough flexibility and minimum effort to support any application-level protocols. So when you have a new vulnerability uh, discovery, you want to be able to author uh, these uh, vulnerability signatures fairly quickly. And secondly, we want to ensure shield fidelity. What that means is we want the shield's interpretation of the protocol context to be consistent with that of the application. Any inconsistency will uh, open opportunities for the attackers to attack the system. Lastly, we also want to minimize and limit um, the amount of state maintained by shield. We don't want shield to be an alternative target of a, a denial of service attack. The bar here is not very high because we only need to design shield to be as DOS resilient as the actual application. So I'm not, now I'm going to talk about each goal, how we address each goal, each goal in turn. So on the flexibility aspect, um, basically, you know, we, uh, we use the well-known computer science principle, separate the policy from the mechanism. So the mechanism here is really the generic elements of all um, application-level protocols. Uh, for example, the finite state machine and uh, you know, the, the event dispatching logic and the session maintenance logic. And the policies uh, really refer to the varying aspect of individual application-level protocols. For example, how do we know which application this traffic, you know, this by stream belongs to? And how do we identify uh, you know, which event this by stream corresponds to? Uh, as well as vulnerability state machine transitions. And we, use, uh, we have designed a shield language to, um, to, to specify uh, such policies. So now I'm going to walk you through uh, the shield architecture. So basically, there are two uh, data structures. On the top, it's the application <coughs> specification. Um, basically, that encodes, on, uh, basically that, uh, encodes the, the, the policy, the shield policy. 
Uh, and at the bottom here is the session state. For each session, we also have a data structure maintaining the session state. So these are the modules in the shield system. Basically, when there's a new vulnerability discovered, new policies authored, and they're being uh, loaded into the system as an application specification. Um, so at the runtime, you receive a packet, and the payload of the packet first uh, goes through the application dispatcher. Based on which executable, uh, which process image uh, this packet is associated with, then we decide, we, we know which uh, policy to use. So um, then that's the policy. The policy, again, encodes, you know, what's the state machine transitions and how to recognize the events and all that. So that's basically uh, the guideline on how we interpret the traffic from, from that point on. Uh, then the session dispatcher, um, based on, you know, the information like uh, from the policy, like how can we obtain the session ID, how can we obtain the message type, and how can we understand, you know, the boundaries between the messages. Then we understand, you know, what's the event, uh, what, what, you know, what event this byte stream represents for which session. So then the state machine engine, based on, you know, the current state from the session state data structure, and that event, and, and that event we consult the policy again, we understand which handler to invoke at that state with that event. And then we interpret the handler, and you know, the handler, what handler does is really parses the message payload and trying to uh, inspect the message and to see whether an exploitation is happening. If it does, then we drop that packet or we, or we tear down the communication session. At the end of the execution of each handler, we always set the next date uh, for, this, uh, for that communication session and update the session state data, data structure. Um, so that was the overall uh, system. Uh, this is overall how the system works. Now I'd like to talk about uh, the fidelity aspect, how we ensure that the interpretation of the protocol context in Shield is consistent with that the application. Uh, the infidelity will result in either you know, the, the attackers evading the detection uh, or resulting in false positives resulting in the disruptions uh, in, the, in the services. So there are a number of uh, sources of inconsistencies. So basically, the protocol or message format can be misunderstood by the policy author. Um, well, we can address that through uh, debugging or test, uh, like trace-driven debugging, or using the existing protocol test suites uh, to address that. And secondly, the event dispatching logic could be inconsistent. Uh, for example, it's wrong to use socket as a unit of dispatching. You should not, according to, oh, here is, according to this socket, I should dispatch this event to this session. Because there can be multiple sessions uh, going on for that socket and vice versa. Uh, the same, similarly for the host pair. Host pair should not also be used as a unit of event dispatching. Uh, there can be many communication sessions going on between two hosts, obviously. So uh, the key lesson uh, we learned here is that the session is really the abstraction for event dispatching and the unit of shielding. Uh, session, um, so session is a really um, uh, what the state machine is modeling for. Uh, another thing is that message can be arrived over multiple packets. Uh, it's wrong to treat a packet as a message. As uh, this has been done in some of the intrusion detection systems. Uh, this has also been pointed out by some of the prior work. So basically, here what we need to do is that we need to do a message-based inspection rather than packet-level inspection. Um, 
So on the third goal, the minimum state in shield. So basically, the session state we need to maintain is the current protocol state and the current parsing state and the handler continuation. What handler continuation is that you receive a, you receive a message and you can execute the handler as soon as you can. You, you receive some bytes for that message. However, uh, you may not have received the complete message, then the handler needs to be halted and wait for new, more bytes to arrive. So the handler continuation is uh, exactly the same as the call continuation concept. So in terms of the parsing state, you may, you may wonder, oh, gee, parsing state can be huge. Uh, you may be, you know, there may be a huge uh, message that you have to buffer, like a rather long messages. But actually, that's not the case. Because for parsing here, we're not parsing to do application logic. We're parsing here to check for the exploitations. So we only need to parse in order to do so. So we can skip a lot of fields that we don't care about. In fact, we only need to keep track of what's the current field that we're parsing. We only need to, for example, if you parse a long message, and you only need to keep, keep track of this maybe the last you know, four bytes representing the data that you're interested in. Maybe you only need to store the partial field uh, that you're parsing right now. So the state there is also not very much. Um, so now I'd like to give you an example um, on our shield language. Uh, uh, shield language basically specify, allows us to specify um, the protocol variations of each uh, protocol and the vulnerability uh, signature that uses uh, that protocol. So here, here is an example for um, uh, the vulnerability behind uh, the blaster worm. Um, so at the top uh, is saying that this is a shield, and the first is the, the name of the, the security bulletin number for that vulnerability. It's using a TCP, and those are the ports that we're concerned about. Then in the next two lines, we specify um, how we retrieve the session IDs uh, out of uh, the message. For example, it's at offsite 12, for four bytes in a message, that represents uh, the session ID of that message. Similarly for the message type. Uh, so that's offsite two with one byte that indicates what the message type. Uh, these information are used for session dispatching. And so then I, here we listed you know, the states that are involved uh, with, the, with, uh, with the RPC protocol. And the next we specify uh, what uh, the, the events, basically, if you know, the message type is 0B and in the incoming direction, then that's RPC bind message. So we'll further specify the protocol state machine transitions. Uh, essentially, this is the vulnerability state machine tra uh, transitions. So at, you know, at a particular state, if you receive a particular event, you invoke the handover. Um, another important aspect is you know, specifying the message format. For example, here, um, we specify you know, the, uh, the message format for, um, uh, let's see, sort of the RPC bind. So this is a little bit like uh, the struct in C. And this, you know, the keyword skip is really saying that you do not need to save any state for those fields. Uh, when you're parsing them, you only need to remember you're parsing, parsing that field, but you don't need to remember, you don't need to save the content of that field. So this is trying to minimize the state maintenance in shield. Uh, in the handler, uh, uh, over here, in the you know when you first so this is the handler when you first receive an RPC bind message, and we're looking for you know the uh, the UUID here, and this UUID represents the RPC call that has uh, that contains the uh, that's vulnerable that has a buffer overrun in it. 
then later on, if you know we have, if you know if that if that RPC bind request is trying to invoke that RPC call, then we continue maintaining the session context for that session. And then when you receive the RPC request, you check for the buffer size. If the buffer size exceeds this legal limit of 1023, that means that you are being exploited. So then uh, we tear down the communication session and return the final state uh, for that session. Um, so that's pretty much um, uh, how at the next level of detail of our uh, shield design. So next, I'm, I'd like to give you analysis on, on this design. So first, on the scalability. So the scalability here is really how can we scale with the number of vulnerabilities. First of all, the number of shield does not grow indefinitely. We envision that after you apply shield, uh, after you apply your patches, then the corresponding shield can be removed. Uh, even if you don't remove that, uh, the shield doesn't really, uh, the scalability is still pretty good for shield because shield does application um, level uh, filtering. You only filter the vulnerable applications. So if you have n vulnerabilities, uh, n, n vulnerabilities in n applications, then that's pretty much equivalent to one vulnerability for each application. Um, oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. So you have n applications, one vulnerability for each application, and this is equivalent to the overhead of one shield, basically, uh, because of this parallelism at the application level. Um, so then the next concern may be, okay, how about uh, in applications like uh, Internet Explorer or uh, Web Server, there can be multiple vulnerabilities in that single application. Uh, this is also not very significant according to our study on uh, the security bulletin of the Security Bulletin Board from 2003. Basically, we find that you know there's there's no more than three vulnerable vulnerabilities seen in any single application in 2003 for the vulnerable ones. Um, uh, so, also you may worry about application throughput. Okay, here I'm giving you maybe the worst case scenario. Um, the worst case scenario is the application throughput is at worst about halved, um, but actually. Uh, this is this is this would be very low impact for the customer machines, but for the server machines, you may be worried about that. But our actual uh, evaluation shows that the the impact on the application throughput is actually very small. Um, so some analysis about the false positives, because shield is vulnerability driven. So basically, um, we have a near zero false positive rate by nature. However, there could be two sources of uh, false positives. Uh, there could be a misunderstanding of the protocol or payload specification, as uh, we talked about before, and this can be debugged. This can only be debugged by uh, uh, trace-based testing or uh, test suite-based uh, testing. Um, there's also another source of uh, maybe somewhat more contrived example of uh, 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 when false positives can occur. That would be. Uh, for some network event, there may be a different treatment of that event based on some runtime condition, maybe based on local configuration, or maybe based on some application logic. You know, in one scenario, uh, it's not an exploitation. In some other scenario, it is. Uh, I think this kind of false positives will be, uh, we should actually block those kind of uh, traffic just to be safe. Okay, so now I'd like to uh, tell you more about our uh, prototype implementation. Um, the shoot prototype implementation base is based on the, um, the layer service provider uh, from Windows. What this uh, LSP does is really intercepts the transport layer uh, protocol, basically inter 
you know, intercepting the send calls, receive calls, or open and close uh, socket calls. And, and then we, then the shield logic is inserted uh, in those interceptions to do deeper inspection. Uh, this is about uh, like a 10,000 line of uh, C++ code. Um, so uh, some of our uh, shielding experience is uh, quite positive. We have working shield for a number of vulnerabilities. Uh, we have, you know, the shields, working shields behind, uh, for the vulnerabilities behind Blaster, Slammer, and Code Red, and we have uh, more of those uh, these days. Uh, we have done detailed study over 15 vulnerabilities uh, and seven protocols, and uh, we have more of those protocols as well. Uh, this talk is uh, uh, slightly out of date. Um, we also have done some uh, throughput evaluation. Um, basically, um, okay, so basically the shields for Blaster, Slammer, and Code Red, uh, they have, so basically they have very little state. We need to maintain very little state for those vulnerabilities. Typically it's less than 32 bytes. Uh, and also they have very small number of states. So they incur actually very little overhead, overhead uh, for the for the end system. So we have because of that we have designed a more stressful shooting scenario. So we assume there is a server sending data to clients as fast as possible in an RPC-like fashion in an RPC-like session over the Ethernet switch. And each session requires you know one um, each session will require one kilobyte of uh, partial payload to be saved. So that will be part of the session state. So it's much more uh, stressful than um, the, the, you know, the working shields that we have, uh, which is only 32 bytes or less. And we put an outgoing shield on the server and what we want to see the impact uh, on the server throughput. Uh, we used a 3.606 gigahertz CPU and one gigabyte of RAM for both client and server. And they're all you know, running Windows XP. And we first use a, a 100 megabit per second uh, Ethernet switch for the experiment. We can see that uh, here, um, the network, the Ethernet switch is the bottleneck, and the CPU is very fast, so we can achieve uh, pretty much um, the, the, the maximum bandwidth here, uh, maximum throughput here uh, for all clients. However, we can see some variations in the e CPU usages. Like when there are less than 50 clients, uh, the LSP, so, so we, we sort of divided up the cost and see how much LSP costs and how much shield adds to that cost. So ISP incurs uh, rather large overhead, is about 11 to 28% of overhead, and shield only adds uh, a little um, less than 3% more overhead. So after inspecting the ISP code, we realized that overhead of ISP is actually not inherent. There is some heavy copying of the socket context that causes that overhead. So uh, that overhead can potentially um, uh, be removed by, by, quite a, uh, by very much. Uh, we also conduct the same experiment over one gigabit per second switch um, and looking at the uh, throughput for the server. Here, obviously, the CPU is, uh, uh, is not fast enough to keep up with the network bandwidth here. Uh, so we can see a degradation uh, of the throughput uh, as the number of sessions increase. increase. So LSP degrades uh, the throughput by about 12% and shield degrades by 11% uh, more. Um, so, um, okay. So, um, so now I'd like to talk about some of the related work uh, to shield. Uh, so many studies have shown that, uh, you know, that the fast spreading and wide spreading nature of the worms um, 
people have done a lot of significant, extensive work, research in the compile time uh, static checking, uh, uh, basically doing static checks for the buffer overruns uh, at the source code level. Uh, basically, in that piece of research, is, uh, there's a trade-off of false negatives and false positives. Um, uh, there are also a number of mitigation techniques, such as DAGGARD and non-executable stack or heap. Um, but these techniques can also be circumvented by the attackers um, with different kind of, uh, with new attack techniques. Uh, and also these techniques often lead to a service denial of service attack, basically causing the system to crash. Um, there's also, um, for the you know, exploit-driven firewalls, there are new algorithms being designed uh, to, fast, to, to extract the attack signature uh, in a very efficient manner. For example, early burden autograph are all uh, along this uh, approach. Um, there's also many honeypot-based approaches like HoneyD, HoneyNet. And here, uh, there's also some very ex extremely exciting, interesting work on Collapsor and vGround, understanding you know, the behavior of the malware uh, in the virtual machine environment, as well as you know, maybe attracting all kinds of malicious traffic into one spot, into this uh, vGround. Um, and there's also a large body of uh, work on network intrusion detection, uh, such as Bro, uh, Ron Paxson's work, and Snort, uh, as well as traffic normalizers. Uh, basically, in the intrusion detection system, usually it's on the edge network. Uh, there could be a discrepancy. Uh, because you're in the network, you basically have to reconstruct uh, the protocol context from the network layer up. Uh, so that can be very challenging uh, because you're not exactly uh, at the end host and people can play various tricks to evade the detection. So then there's uh, techniques like traffic normalizer being introduced, trying to uh, normalize the traffic so that the intrusion detection system uh, can, can, uh, can analyze the traffic in a more accurate fashion. Um, so basically, I think uh, for warm defense, for malware defense, we need all kinds of uh, defense mechanisms play, uh, playing together uh, to be uh, effective. And uh, the shield, what's, what's special about shield is that it's an unhosed firewall. It does not need to reconstruct you know, the, uh, the protocol context from the network layer up. And by being intercepting the tra transport layer and up, uh, basic application layer traffic, uh, we can we only need to deal with the application level traffic. And it's also more efficient that way. We don't need to touch the traffic that belong to the, uh, to the legal traffic, to the traffic that belong to, uh, you know, that do not have uh, uh, software defects in them. Um, so there's uh, some ongoing work in the SHIELD project. Uh, our most recent work is um, basically going further um, on the generic uh, application level product analyzer and its language design. Uh, basically, this, is a, this mechanism is, can be a general mechanism for uh, not only the intrusion detection firewalling, it can also uh, help with the network monitoring, help you analyze the, the protocol traffics, uh, the application level protocol traffics, helping you maybe annotate the traffic with uh, application level protocol semantics. Uh, I believe there are some other more interesting applications there. Uh, for example, we can also combine, um, you know, this kind of protocol understanding logic uh, along with some unknown, you know, zero-day exploit detection uh, mechanisms to potentially allow automatic signature generation, like shield kind of signature generation. Uh, some other ideas we have is, you know, having a shield pod uh, instead of uh, 
so basically, we have a shield-enabled detector, basically for detecting stealthy or polymorphic attacks uh, against for the known uh, vulnerabilities. Uh, so in the future, we believe that there will be uh, uh, that the stealthy worms uh, would be uh, much more difficult to deal with. Uh, so just to conclude, uh, Shield is a vulnerability-specific exploit generic network filters for preventing exploits against uh, known vulnerabilities. And we use generic protocol analyzer uh, as a key mechanism. Uh, and we use a session and message-based uh, inspection rather than packet-level inspection. Uh, we use a SIF description language to specify the policies. And our initial prototyping and evaluation results are quite encouraging. Um, thank you very much. I believe I'm quite early. <laughs> we have time for uh, a lot of questions. <laughs> yes. Uh, can you give an example of the vulnerabilities Shield is targeting other than the buffer overflow attacks? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, so basically, here you can uh, think of um, oops, uh, you can think of our uh, mechanism here is to underline understand the protocol context. With that knowledge, you can do a lot of things. Sometimes, for example, your protocol may have some logical errors. Uh, for example, it doesn't uh, have authentication stage. Presumably, you can insert that authentication logic into this protocol state machine and to fix that uh, logic problem with the protocol. So basically, any um, vulnerabilities that's at a network level, um, because we understand the protocol context, we can do something about it. Is there an example where such has existed? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there is a vulnerability, I think, is in a university plug-in and play. Uh, so basically, it's a logical error in the protocol. And we can potentially insert a small state machine to deal with that vulnerability. Of course, um, for buffer overrun, it's, uh, even for buffer overrun, it's not necessarily that easy. Uh, it's not always easy to deal with, but depending on where the buffer is overrun. I mean, lots Excuse of me? people have worked on buffer overflow and uh, for most part, it's done at various levels and it's all. I mean, if it's used, all those techniques are used, then it shouldn't be a problem. I mean, it's different. Yeah, so there are different approaches, it. right? You can use software patching to, to fix the, to, to basically insert the check, uh, you know, the boundary check in the source code directly. But there is uh, some problem with that approach. Yeah, there, there Even with stack guard. It is at the language level, it's at, it is at the OS level, at the hardware level. So, I mean, it's solved at various levels, and putting them all together, it should basically solve the problem. No, it doesn't. The problem is it does not solve the problem. Um, I mean, those are not used, that, that's why it's not solved. But, I mean, uh, that's not true. That's not true. For example, for the non executable stack, uh, the return to libc problem uh, can still evade that. Uh, so, basically, there are there's basically various um, attacks to work around the, pro uh, the, the mechanism like stack guard or uh, non-executable heap or stack. Um, it's true that when you have all those mechanisms in place, it can uh, stop a lot of uh, buffer overrun-based attacks. Uh, but uh, it's basically an arms race. Uh, there's always a new attacks uh, circumventing those mechanisms. Uh, but here, are uh, the key advantage of our approach here, we, we have a vulnerability-driven approach. No matter how you variate your attack vector, no matter how you variate your attack, we can protect you at a more fundamental level. Um, yeah? My question is, if you have a vulnerability, will you be ha having only one kind of attack? I can use the, that yeah. vulnerability with different approaches, right, maybe? Yes, yes. You can, you can have uh, many different attacks against the same vulnerability. 
so the thing is, then you will have only one state machine for one vulnerability? Yes, there's only one state machine modeling. The, modeling it's really modeling the, you know, the network operation aspect of that application. Uh, so basically, no matter how you vary, how do you vary the attack, you can still exploit the same buffer. You may, you may have different content. Uh, the, the payload, malicious payload, you can have various malicious payload to overrun that buffer. Um, but no matter how you do that, we're checking, you know. Yeah, this is true for buffer overflow. No, I don't think it's specifically, I, I don't think this is specifically for buffer overrun. Basically, we provide a mechanism uh, that we can show you what the protocol context is. Based on this protocol context, you can do whatever you need to do to protect your system. Sometimes it's, it's a buffer overrun that uh, you need to do, a, you basically do a boundary check uh, at the network level. Sometimes it's a protocol logic problem that you need to insert, uh, you know, a partial state machine into the protocol state machine to basically correct uh, the protocol logic problem at a different place. Yeah. Couldn't there be two paths through your state machine to get to? Yeah. To, so wouldn't that be two two protocols for the same vulnerability? Oh uh, no, it's still this. Uh, it's still the. So if you look at this uh, protocol state machine. Um, If you look at this uh, protocol state machine here, it's really there are many different paths that can lead to that vulnerable state. So, by specifying that state machine, you capture all the possible path uh, that leads to that state, all the possible sequences of methods that lead to that state. Yes. First question mark. I mean, there's one word before that was the outlook. I think it was you know had the preview mode where you know people viewed it and you know the preview automatically viewed the attachment and it sent itself off. Would this be able to be used to? This is that's kind of a passive. I think for email, kind of, uh, I don't think email viruses or uh, email worms is really um, a big threat today. I think there's a, you know an easier solution than this to to address the email worms and viruses. You basically you don't do the preview pan, uh, then uh, you will not be so automatically exploited, and then you use antivirus software to uh, scan the email content and to figure out whether you have a virus contained and and, and cure the problem there. Uh, this is this is very good for um, uh, yeah I guess you know you can also apply this uh, to to email but there the problem is there are many ways of you, for you to receive the email sometimes you can receive the email over web interface so the problem there is really essentially that email that's going to be part of your file system causing the damages rather than um, so for for basically for all the like file based problems like viruses. The best solution is really the antivirus software. So just to understand. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, yes. Well, in fact, your previous answer actually. Okay. When you're talking about the email worms, actually the problem there I hear is that because the Outlook actually is configured automatically to open the attachments. So I mean, where if it is similarly, if you look at the code red, the problem came because. People XP actually automatically had this web server installed, and people didn't know, right? Right, right. So, so I mean, so yeah, you can use shoot for that. Uh, if uh, so, I think later on, I think uh, that problem is fixed because by default you don't you don't do the preview of your uh, emails. Um, but if that's you know uh, misconfigured, you can still use shield to trace on your SMP uh, SMTP protocol and uh, possibly inspect the email content. Uh, it's possible to do that. Okay, another question. Sure. You talk about actually the traffic being encrypted, right? 
Yeah. So, do you think there is any attack currently that actually uses encrypted traffic? Uh, so, so basically, you know, for for end-to-end um, -end application specific encryption, uh, if we can get a private key in Shield, of course we can do something about it, and and also. It, it may not be inefficient to do that in Shield. However, it's probably not reasonable for Shield to obtain the private key uh, for a particular application. Um, in any case, uh, for application-specific encrypted traffic, it's very hard to deal with. So th I think there is always inherent tension between the security and, uh, uh, and privacy. Uh, the tension here is you want to encrypt your traffic to, to, to have your privacy. However, when you encrypt the traffic, um, it's not possible for third parties to inspect in it. Um, another answer to this question is, you know, for infrastructure-based end-to-end encrypted traffic, I believe we can address. Basically, we can say we can lift the shield uh, at a layer of the uh, basic, for example, above SSL, so that shield will have the access to the encrypted payload and uh, decrypted payload to inspect the traffic. Yes. You mentioned early on that there was. Uh, one of the main problems with worms was that users just don't patch their systems. What kind of distribution network do you envision for Shield? Right, right. That? So um, the kind of distribution we have in mind is um, to um, basically have like an antivirus-based kind of distribution model. Uh, how antivirus works is that uh, whenever there is a new virus discovered, uh, the virus signature will be distributed to every end host. Uh, or it's being, uh, or there is agent running on your system periodically polling for the new virus signatures. Uh, uh, so this can be uh, done similarly for Shield. Basically, we periodically distribute. Basically, whenever there's a new vulnerability, then there's a vulnerability signature authored. Then that vulnerability signature will be automatically distributed to everybody. Uh, at that point, uh, you're protected. Yeah, so it, it is automatic in that sense because of the data-driven uh, feature of the Shield system. So steal my any other questions? Uh, uh, okay, let's take a couple more. Uh, okay. Good. Um, so, so the, the, the goal is just to be outside of just Microsoft right in the future, to have like other vendors to also provide shield things, or is this just Microsoft specific? So this this mechanism is uh, is, uh, is good for everybody, really. Uh, but, but it seems to require that vendors give up their protocol then. I mean, if, if people want to do this, they have to give up their protocol yes, state table, yes. which they made. Yes. Kind of We're required to do that anyways, don't we? <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, third parties, they can, right, that's true. It may pose a problem in certain scenarios, uh, other non-technical problems in some scenarios. Uh, so like, in implementation, does it mean that when um, in the state machine, it's executing in some function, essentially, then you are going to uh, 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 say that yeah, there's, there may be an exploit. Like, for example, V4, does it, at a higher level, does it really mean that if it's executing in some part of the code in the, of the application? Uh, right, so all what we're doing here is basically, we don't want to be so entangled with the, with the application. Uh, at the code level, at the executable level, or we want to be completely not in the process of the application. But rather, you know, at the network level, we just want to possibly observe the messages that are passing by between the application from this host with the, some remote, uh, remote entity. And 
through this process, we'll figure out exactly you know, where you are in this uh, protocol state machine. Uh, for sure that you, I mean, that, that application is executing some code, but we, we actually don't want to have that detailed knowledge. We want to be as separate from the application as possible. And that actually gives us, uh, that's the reason why we have this edge of uh, being easily deployable. Because we're at the network level, we're doing data-driven. We're just looking at it, messages and to see which part of the message causes the problem. Is it really at the network level because you are just, the sheet is executed the layer, protocol layer that you showed, it was at the user level and it was just below the application between the socket layer and the... Yeah, being at the network level meaning that I look at the network messages and being at a separate process. It's actually not really the separate... Um, uh, so you can, you can, so our specific implementation is in the LSP. You can think of this as part, being part of a kernel, right? So being part of the, you know, network stack, whenever there is a send uh, call that's being caught, then there is a, there is a callback into, into the shield logic to do the deep inspection. That's exactly, exactly how um, some of the firewalls are implemented. Uh, I'm to compare it with the host system and how does it... Host-based intrusion detection, there are many ways of doing that. Some ways is to use the system call uh, sequence. Um, um, and you can also do some, like some sandboxing kind of uh, schemes. Uh, it's, it's essentially similar to some of those schemes. We're also intercepting, uh, you, can, you can consider us intercepting the system calls. Um, or, or just do whatever you do at the network level at the, at the host level. Like look at the packets. Yeah, that's what we do. That's the mechanism how we do, how we carry this out. Uh, do we have time for more? Uh, should we need now? Well, let's, uh, well, we can uh, talk to uh, Dr. Warren offline, and uh, I guess that we need to uh, uh, vacate this room for the next class. So uh, thanks. Uh, let's thank Helen for the wonderful. Thank you very much.